Good morning. Good morning. It's morning in America. That's how a famous political TV ad once described our country. Those words ring true once again. Look around. People are traveling again. Businesses are hiring and school-age children are wrapping up the school year and heading home for the summer. But the truth is, as many parents know too well, some of those little bundles of joy have spent most of the last two years at home through virtual online learning in which working moms and dads have taken on the double duty of school laptop troubleshooters and core study tutors, all the while not trying to get photobombed during a Zoom call for work. If bringing up kids pre-2021 was difficult, what words begin to describe pandemic parenting? It hasn't been easy. We had a long night and what felt like a nightmare that lasted four years. Now, it's morning in America. This is the time that we are waking up from a nearly two-year slumber, eager to return to something that feels like normal. But first, we need breakfast. We need to feed our bodies. We need to feed our souls. We need Waffles. Who can resist waffles? No kid I know, including myself. There are literally houses devoted to waffles. They are light and sweet and almost always come with syrup. You can't resist waffles, especially if you're at home with dad who's doing an interview for a podcast. This is a uh a another COVID pandemic day of parenting. Mm. So I have my four-year-old son here with me and he's eager to uh, say hi. You want to say hi, man? Hey, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Did he just yeah. get the waffles? Yes, he just got uh, He just ate waffles. Oh, he's oh, still... Okay. Go eat your food, son. Daddy's home. There is something beautiful watching a dad, proud, successful black father, make sure his son receives his love, his presence, and eventually those waffles. If you want to hear what it sounds like to balance being a present father and promoting your book on fatherhood, you've come to the right place. On today's episode, meet family physician Dr. Kwame Fouché, author of the new book, The Awesome Dad Playbook. I asked Dr. Fouché about fatherhood, the challenges of being a divorced dad with kids, about ways to keep kids COVID-free during the summer, and about the strategies all parents can use as we enter morning in America. As we record this episode on June 23rd, The Awesome Dad Playbook, The Father's Guide to Raising Resilient, Healthy, and Happy Children, is the number one selling book on fatherhood on Amazon.com. As we continue to celebrate Black Music Month, we'll check in with Parish P. Dub Williams for some musical insight. 
and we'll check back on our bookmarks as we enter our Valerie's book selection. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. We would like to thank our local title sponsor for supporting Interludes, A1 Pestmasters, for all your exterminating and pest control needs. This episode is brought to you by our national sponsor, Montevilla Coffee and Tea. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Valerie Johnson. Valerie Johnson with uh, Interludes. And today we have Dr. Kwame Fouché. Uh, he is an author of the Awesome Dad Playbook. And we're going to talk to him about some things regarding parenting. Hey, Val. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm doing really well. Um, yeah, I'm a board certified family physician and oh. physician executive with an insurance company. I've been doing managed care insurance for the last uh, 10 years. Uh, and I've practiced medicine for 10 years before that as in a uh, fairly qualified health center here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I uh, have always had a passion for serving the underserved. This book is an expression of encouragement for dads. Um, I am the father of three. Uh, my kids are 10, eight and four. And, um, you know, there's no, no manual for um, raising kids. Um, as a physician, I've been taking care of kids. Uh, and now as a dad, I've been taking care of kids. <laughs> so um, I brought some some key pointers from my clinical experience, as well as my experience as a father, and um, as well as my experience as a, a Christian man, uh, to give some encouragement to dads and give them some tools to work with to get better outcomes and uh, to stay involved in their life. Wonderful. I have a few questions because we're winding down. I feel like the pandemic is coming to a close, but still around. How safe should parents feel about sending their children unvaccinated, with unvaccinated children to summer camps and eventually back to school in August and September? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, that's a very good question. And um, I don't know that there are any uh, hard and fast answers to that question right now. It's a parent's choice, really. Um, Kids definitely get COVID and kids can get sick uh, from COVID. But I would say that there's a lot more comfort in the medical community dealing with COVID today than it was at the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't know that much about the virus and when we didn't know how to treat it effectively. We didn't know how to necessarily identify it right away. And, um, you know, we were seeing uh, so many differences in terms of outcomes based on health disparities, based on pre-existing medical conditions. Those things are still the case, but the medicines and the treatments are a lot better today. So, um, you know, we're seeing a lot more confidence with um, people having (laughs) COVID infection 
in addition to that, uh, the vaccine is getting out. It's getting distributed. We had a, a very nice uptake uh, at the beginning of the uh, of January and February when the vaccine first started to become available. Right. And uh, it started to taper off right now. I think people are getting very comfortable, maybe a little too comfortable, um, <laughs> because you know we're 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 not seeing the same large numbers that we saw before. It's still out there. We still need to be safe. So um, my kids are at school right now. My two oh. older, uh, they go with face masks. Uh, they use uh, great precautions at the school to oh. continue to do social distancing. Uh, and they communicate with us. We have to do a screener every day before the kids go to school. Uh, so th those are things that lower the risk uh, of the transmission. And uh, to my knowledge, there haven't been any uh, severe illnesses uh, in the kids since they've been back in a, uh, this hybrid learning environment, you know, partly at home, partly in person. Uh, so they're, they're taking great measures to keep things clean and sanitary and uh you know keep the kids safe and uh you know i, I have confidence that uh the kids wearing face masks washing their hands still using distancing at school they're gonna they're gonna be fine yeah and that's always good to hear that from a medical professional some of the basic things can help protect us against this pandemic the the awesome dad playbook the father's guide to raising resilient healthy and happy children and he's showing a wonderful cover of it the book you wrote is for all fathers i'm just going to make that assumption and what are the three major challenges that men face as fathers well you know um first of all it's, it's not just for fathers my mom read the book she wow. said she very uh, delighted that I wrote it. She was proud that I was her son, and uh, she got a lot out of it as a mom. And, you know, wow. I, it's written for parents. You excellent, know, uh, excellent. But but my specific interest is in trying to empower dads. So I think that that kind of keys into your question, though. About what are the specific challenges to dads? Number one. Uh, there isn't necessarily this expectation of dads that we can do it, you know, that we can provide everything that we need to do for a mm -hmm. child in terms of preparing meals, in terms of giving them the emotional and social support that they need. Uh, right. Most of our elementary education uh, teachers are women. Uh, there was an interesting question that came out, I think, on social media, especially of, of Black people, when was what grade was the first grade that you were introduced to an african-american male teacher and i don't know if you can answer that for yourself but most people what what what, what grade was it for you high school high school yeah. so you know that's that means that there's a big separation in uh our experience of black men being involved in the lives of our children and, and parenting and nurturing um, that doesn't mean that we can't do it. That doesn't mean that we're, we wouldn't be excellent at it. I think some of the best dads that I see in action right now are, are black male dads right now. I think we're leading the way. Um, hey. I'm really excited to be a, a black male dad, you know? Um, but expectations, you know, we don't necessarily enjoy 
the support of partners all the time either, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially in a climate where there's a greater than 50% divorce rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I myself know very well that it is very challenging to be a single parent because that's been my experience for the last two years since uh, two and a half years since being divorced. And, um, you know, the court system uh, makes it challenging. Uh, so there's some there's some tidbits in there about, you know, ways to help navigate that experience of being a single dad uh, and the challenges that come with uh, your experience in dealing with the courts, your experience in dealing with challenging um, baby mamas. <laughs> you know, um, that's real. Those are, those are the real challenges. And then expectations, you know, mm-hmm. those are those are the real challenges. And, you know, for, for men in particular, uh, I think we have the challenge of dealing with our uh, with our own emotions and our own uh, anger uh, and experiences, personal experiences of um, maybe heavy handed parenting. And how do we still discipline children uh, in a culture and in an environment that uh, still respects the children's bodies, still uh, teaches them that uh, violence is not an option. And uh, regardless of what anyone says, um, corporal punishment teaches children that violence is acceptable. We have to do better. So it's a lot of unlearning from previous generations that needs to happen too. So you asked for three challenges. It's really hard to narrow it down to three. Yeah, and, I, and I'd said for fathers, and it sounds like you also uh, included black fathers because a lot of I things did. that we've yeah. learned as a culture, which is corporate, punish, uh, corporate um, punishing, is something that I know we've learned. Oh my gosh, look at that smiley face. Just adorable. How are you, young man? Hey, she's <laughs> Hey. He's do you're doing great. I love waffles. He he's eat was eating my favorite food group. Mm-hmm. Bread. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh in in terms of taking care of our health, what grade would you give African Americans? Like people like myself. Uh you know, um in terms of health and health maintenance, um we definitely have room to grow. The life expectancy as an African-American in this country is three years less than it is age-matched, sex-matched white cohorts, right? So that tells that something is going on uh, that we uh, may need to look at more closely to live better, healthier lifestyles that ultimately lead to more longevity, right? Right. So um, that's the grade right there. Um, number one, the estimated uh, length of life expectancy. But then uh, beyond that, you know, it's about uh, what kind of quality of life are we living? And quality of life is going to be determined uh, by so many different factors. I look at it in my book on about six different (laughs) tiers. These little people have their own ideas and their own thoughts. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) That is, that is truly the experience of parenting, um, learning how to make adjustments on the fly. Yeah. Uh, so back to your question about uh, how are we doing with our health? 
Um, yeah. you know, are we like are we like at an A, a B, or are we like the C, D level? I don't know. Yeah, I I'm not gonna be able to score it like that. You okay, know? I would. Uh, I, I don't think that's it. fair. To us. I'm. I don't think that's fair to us because the the fact of the matter is, if you're giving and assigning grades, I think mm -hmm. that means that um, you are accountable for all of your outcomes. You know, it has to be something that can be scored evenly across the board. If you give mm -hmm. a, a for one student, that should be the same as an A to another student, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't all start from the same uh, point of uh, a fair and even playing field. So mm -hmm. it wouldn't be fair to give uh, grades to African-Americans. But I can tell you that uh, how we look at our health uh, physical, intellectual, emotional, social, spiritual, and financial, um, all those things contribute to our well-being and ultimately right. quality of life. So um, are we living, if we're living a better quality of life, we wind up having greater longevity. Uh, and when the quality of life is lower, we don't, you know? Yeah. So uh, stress factors into that, so many different things. Um, but can we do better? Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why um, it's important to have a, a good primary care physician right. and make sure that you're going in for your exam at least once a year and staying on top of it. And that you don't do things that are definitely bad for your health, like smoking, uh, drinking excessively, using drugs. Uh, let's just start with the basics. What are the things that uh, have genetic implications on your life and then make sure that you get on those things and don't be afraid to talk to doctors and nurses and healthcare providers to learn more about your your own health right yeah i had to talk to my i have a doctor in my family and i we actually interviewed her regarding the vaccine because i was one of those people that was apprehensive about taking the vaccine and Definitely, she just kind of broke some things down for me. And then I ended up speaking to my own physician. And then he let me know that because I sometimes suffer with asthma, that it's not all the time, but I do sometimes. He was like, you were probably, you should have been one of the people that was first in line to get it because of the type of disease um, COVID is. So it's always good to have those great conversations about that. Um, tell us about a time in your life when people in a sense, shoveled dirt on you because you weren't able and you but you were able to shake it off and and step up. In other words, if people were throwing obstacles in your way and you were able to rise to the occasion. Well, you know, um, the, probably the number one um, challenge that I have faced uh, in life. And I thought I had been through some stuff <laughs> until I been through until I did do this, but um, right. divorce is about the number one thing that uh, is challenging because um, all of the things that we mentioned earlier, when we said, what are the challenges of being a father? Um, this legal system is not generous or kind to men, uh, especially when it comes to uh, divorce. If you don't have a uh, spouse or a a parenting partner who is going to be cooperative and work with you so that you can be the best dad that you can be, um, that is a challenge. And I have not enjoyed that in my life. The fact that I 
still here for my children mm-hmm. is is truly my own demonstration of grit and determination on something that's truly important to me. You know, my kids are very important to me. My family is very important to me. Yeah, that's tough, especially for our people. When uh, when divorce happens, that is such a challenge for a family to overcome. It is. And uh, the children in particular have a difficult time dealing with it because they're trying to understand what happened. Our family used to look like this and now it looks different and nothing is the same anymore. So how do we navigate that? You know, that's a that's a big challenge for me as a dad, but it's one that I, I happily take on because it's, it's the state of affairs uh, that I'm in right now. And it's the reality that my kids face. So I talk about that on my webpage, on my social media, and you know, I want to encourage single dads because it's it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, and at def- everyone always says, oh, the single mom, the single mom, but a lot of folks, I believe, sometimes forget about single fathers, and, and especially men who want to be fathers to their children. That's so commendable, and, and, and it's sometimes I almost find myself thinking that's shameful to say that you want to be a father. You're a black man, and you are a father, and I'm grateful for the men that step up and say, no, it didn't work between us, but I want a, I w- I'm going to be a father to my children, and I'm going to fight for this relationship. It encourages me to see that because we just... We just need we need our we need our black fathers. We we need our, our black women need their their fathers, and especially black boys they need their fathers too. So I'm. I well, I, I have to say though that I think that it's a lot more common than people think. I mean, mm-hmm. do, you, do you really think that mothers are that much more in tune to nurturing their children than uh, than fathers, uh, just because they carried them for nine months? Mm-hmm. I, I don't. So men look forward to raising their kids too, but um, there's a natural bond and a connection between a a child and his mother that a a father doesn't get the opportunity to enjoy. That nine months of bonding that happens while the child is in his womb naturally ties them to a mother stronger than it does to a father, even after you know, if you're if you're fortunate enough, if, if you've gone through something that made it challenging for you to be there for the delivery of your children, the, the first thing that uh, a doctor or nurse will usually do is hand the scissors to the dad and say, you know, cut the cord. And, you know, uh, I don't know if we really understand the symbol, symbol, symbolism of that, but this child has been connected to its mom as its sole source of nurturing for nine months, the nine months that it was growing. And now you've cut the cord and you've let the child come into the to the world and they breathe air through their lungs for the first time and they mm-hmm. eat food through their mouth for the first time and they experience touch for the first time from someone besides their mother. So dads kind of need to be there for that first moment to help with that bonding, but it still doesn't overcome the nine months that a child got used to the way that a mother tastes and a mother smells and the mother's emotions go 
um, and they were one at one time. So I promise you there are way more dads than you know who mm -hmm. want to be fathers, but they're not left with palatable options to do so. They're not left with options that give them enough autonomy in their own lives to still do life, not only taking care of themselves, but also taking care of another person. And then having the influence of a third person stand in the way of that sometimes. Oh. It's hard enough to live life. We talk about how are we doing in terms of our health? You're asking me, how do we take care of our own health well? Not how do we take care of the health of our family? Not how do we take care of the health of our employees? But how do we take care of our own health? And we are already starting at a disadvantage because life expectancies are lower for African-Americans than they are for anyone else. And life expectancy is lower for men than it is for women right now. Even though you hear all of this information about the challenges that women, especially black women, have in childbirth right now. You know, there are a lot of uh, examples, celebrity examples that have put a spotlight on that. It's equally true that men uh, are having a hard time, having a real hard time getting through this life and getting a fair shake at it. Um, and then maybe it takes a man to say it, but the, the, the stories are not there about how hard it is and how much men try to overcome. And then there's also been a um, societal encouragement of men to step out of the way in order to get all the benefits of uh, society for their family. You realize that for people who are living below poverty for so many years could not get financial, federal financial support unless the father was not in the household. So if you're a dad and father and you're working, but you're the working poor because, you know, whatever reason, the job that you have just pays enough to take care of your household and there isn't enough to go around in order to qualify for federal assistance for a long time, you couldn't get that and still have a, an intact home. They would say, well, you got a, you got a father there. He needs to go work some more. Or men feel like we have to be providers. Our job is outside of the home. Our job is to bring money in. Right. And so a lot of fathers were there living under the same roofs as their children, but their children don't have a relationship with them because they work so hard. Right. And the expectation is not on the woman to go out and provide for the family. The expectation has typically been on the man. So those are those are challenges that men have to overcome to be actively involved in the lives of their children. And I'm assuming you cover some of that in your book. Uh, you know, the book is written more to fathers in general. I, I wanna talk to single and married dads alike. I wanna talk to African-American dads and the other dads alike in my book. I'm talking to you this way because you're you're a black woman and, you, and uh, Mr. Womble, your producer, is a black man and, and he knows me. So I, I feel like I can be a little bit more candid and a little bit more personal with you. So that's what I'm that's where I'm coming from. Uh, um, but the book speaks more in general. I think the next follow up book might get into some of these other challenges, though. And because of your 
um, career as a doctor. I'm, I'm wondering how early in life did you know that you wanted to become a doctor? Because I know for me, I wanted to do a, do be a filmmaker and do things with pictures as early as in my early to mid-teens. What about you? When did you know? I'm a, I want to become a doctor. I want to help people. Uh, you know, I had a, a grandmother who died from cancer uh, when I was eight years old or seven years old. And um, that that affected me. I felt like she was too young to die. Uh, I grew up, there were so many others who had grandmothers. Um, and so I had a keen sense that my grandmother must have died young. Um, and she did. Um, so, and I was close to my grandmother, so I wanted to do something that would help people with health. You know, um, I thought I wanted to be someone who would do research and discover a cure for cancer. Um, okay. You know, but life happens and mm -hmm. we, we move through life and we make adjustments. And the adjustments that I've made were trying to fit in. How do I still help people with their health? How do I still help people live healthy lives mm -hmm. and still make my life work for me too? Mm -hmm. So um, hence, that's what I do now. I became a family doctor and I've been very satisfied and fulfilled with helping people throughout the whole spectrum of life. Yeah, and you are a working black doctor here in Chicago. What are some of the challenges of being a doctor here in the Chicagoland area? Uh, the number one challenge I would say, I'm sorry, one second. Nope. What did you say? <laughs> Can you give me just a few more minutes, sir? That's the last question, too. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> all right. Um, all right. For doctors, for doctors in general, mm -hmm. um, the challenge is uh, how do we keep healthcare affordable, mm -hmm. and um, how do we manage a limited resource? Um, healthcare for many years um, was not regulated. Costs were out of control. Um, we are aware that we are trying to rescue Medicaid and Medicare benefits because healthcare is so expensive around the world, around the country. Uh, even though we are uh, the most developed country in the world, healthcare is not where we excel. Excel in healthcare is not where we see. Uh, that those benefits are going out to all of the citizens. You know, it's the people who can afford healthcare who get the best benefits in this system as it exists. Uh, and so how do we make healthcare sustainable for people who don't necessarily have the financial means that make healthcare a privilege as much as healthcare truly is uh, we would like to believe a right of citizenship. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of countries where healthcare is a right of citizenship and they don't pay exorbitant amounts of money to get good quality healthcare. Now in Chicago, it's particularly problematic because they, uh, I've worked as the chief medical officer of uh, two uh, major um, insurance providers in the right. in the state of Illinois, right. uh, so I understand care very well, and I understand uh, the, the challenges 
to affordability and sustainability of our healthcare mm -hmm. system because that's my my other role the other thing that i do professionally is try and make healthcare more affordable uh by changing our healthcare system and creating the right incentives for healthcare that make it uh, sustainable and make doctors aware of trying to control costs, but also delivering quality across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, but that is the challenge in, in, in Chicago as a physician. Um, how do I enjoy the benefits of my career uh, financially? How do I provide good quality care and make sure that that care is affordable and achievable for everybody because we have so many different um, ethnicities, so many different financial uh, capabilities in this city. It's a, it's a great city, but happened with COVID, uh, how many people were dying, who was dying and who was, and who was recovering. Um, right. It tells you that there are very big health disparities in the city. Uh, and that's the challenge uh, for people in Chicago. How do we make healthcare affordable for everybody? And how do we make sure that everybody gets good quality care? Yeah. And the physicians need to be happy providing it or else the physicians burn out and then they're not providing quality care. Where are people? And the physician rate of burnout and suicide is higher than people want to acknowledge. It's a very challenging career profession yeah um i had uh friends of mine that work in healthcare over in new york and uh knew the or knew of the young woman who was a doctor at the very start of covid who ended up committing suicide mm -hmm. and just dealing with just the overwhelming death that was happening at the very start of this pandemic uh, mm -hmm. weighed very heavily on doctors and you know, a lot of people sometimes did not come to the hospital and ended up dying at home or, you know, if, if things just went, progressed too quickly with uh, with COVID because at that time we just didn't know. None of us knew, including the doctors. But um, I am excited about uh, the awesome dad playbook. People wanted to find out more information and to reach out to you, Dr. Kwame, where would they go? All right, well, uh, you know, I'm at uh, Dr. Kwame Fouché. Uh, it's D-R-K-W-A-M-E-F-O-U-C-H-E-R. Uh, all one word on all social media. Uh, that's Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I have a YouTube, YouTube channel as well. I have a website called teamdadcommunity.com. That's T-E-A-M-D-A-D community.com. And there you can uh, get give me your email address. Uh, I have a, a nice one-pager with affirmations for dads that you can get on that website. And then uh, if you're on my uh, email list, then you'll get updates from time to time. And the book and the workbook, it's not, it's not just a book, but there's a, uh, a read-along and work-along workbook so that you can implement the strategies that are in the book and uh they're both available on amazon right now wonderful wonderful dr kwame fouché thank you so much for joining me on today 
thank you, Val, for having me. I really appreciate it. And please uh, let your producer know that uh, it was a delight to be here. Wonderful. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interlude. You can go this way, you can go with that. You can go this way, you can go with that. You can go with this way, you can go with that. I'm going to go this Our current Valerie selection is Devon Franklin's book, Live Free, Exceed Your Highest Expectations. Let's return to Mr. Franklin's book and the concept of the secret software running your life. Years ago, when I earned my bachelor's degree, the world was analog. But by the time I sought out my master's at the Center for Advanced Digital Applications, the world had changed. The format that I learned and that I had been using for so long to edit film was radically different. I had been in classes where cutting a film meant using a razor blade. Now there was Photoshop and Final Cut Pro. I really was an analog girl in a digital world, at least for a moment. At first, I was way behind the curve, yet I knew that to earn my master's degree at NYU meant learning a lot of digital applications. In retrospect, I wish that I had read Franklin's book before pursuing my master's. Live Free has made me realize some of the expectations I held for myself and some that came from my mother. My mom stressed that education was the key to unlocking many of my dreams and that if my dream of becoming a filmmaker wasn't coming true with money and finances to back up that dream, that I should work and do other things. I became the epitome of a starving artist back in New York. I worked during the day as a legal assistant that at night I was editing projects on the side. I was married to a career I loved and seeking satisfaction from my side chick who happened to be my true love. Now, it wasn't about my love of filmmaking or art. It was all about keeping that money-making relationship going. Franklin tells readers how to avoid this situation. According to Franklin, I need to rewire my software in my mind. Our mind is the most powerful computer in the world, and many of us have to reprogram our mind daily and free ourselves from the expectations placed upon us from other people and other sources. Sometimes we need to break from the expectations we've placed on ourselves. I tried to get into NYU grad school for over a decade. When I got there, it seemed like a fantasy until my looming debt brought me back to reality. When we achieve goals, are we achieving them out of some type of sense of obligation or to honor an expectation placed upon us by either a parent or spouse or even our children? I'm grateful for my master's degree it hangs on my wall, reminding me how much money was spent to achieve it. However, if I had learned to live free, maybe I'd have the movie instead of the masters. After all, my love was of filmmaking, not seeking other people's validation. After all, the ultimate goal is to be happy. Come on, Mary. How can I love somebody
My executive producer, Michael Womble, and I continue our conversation with Parrish P-Dub Williams, host of the podcast, It's Like That. We're talking movies and music and what makes some legendary songs timeless. Let's continue to talk with Parrish P-Dub Williams in recognition of June as Black Music Month. One of my favorite movies, one of the few favorite movies that I have from uh, Tyler Perry, Diary of a Mad Black Woman. I saw oh, this God. movie, I, I'm telling you, and I, I'm looking, I'm seeing Tamala Man, and I'm squinting my eye. I'm like, who the choir director? Is that Parrish? Is that my friend directing Tamala Man? <laughs> How yes. was that experience for I'll you? Tell you? Okay, so let me tell you, I have to give a shout out to a very good friend of mine, Latrice Pace. She's one of the Pace sisters. Uh, Gus grew based in Atlanta. If you've ever heard of Sean Pace, that's her one of her younger sisters. Well, anyway, at that time, Latrice was doing a lot of circuit plays, and Tyler Perry was one of her main circuit play gigs. So the day the day before they filmed the movie, um, she had texted me. She said, "Hey, what are you doing?" At the time, I had just got laid off my job, and I wasn't really doing anything. I was just kind of chilling. She said, "Hey, what are you doing tomorrow?" Because they're doing a um, Tyler's doing his first uh, feature film. It's a movie shoot, and it's going to be um, the area that she told me I was very familiar with. I said, okay, cool. So I called my god sister. She um, was working as a contractor, so she could work anytime she wanted to. I said, hey, did Latrice call you? She said, yeah, I just got the text about the thing. Are you going? I said, yeah, let's go. So we went out there. Um, we're in. So initially, the only thing I was going to be doing, I was gonna, actually going to be a part of the choir. In the choir scene, you know, the, the scene when the guy comes up to get saved at the front of the church, yeah. they're panning mm -hmm. the choir. My sister, my gossip is one of the people that they give a lot of, uh, you know, films uh, spotlight to in that scene. Okay. So I was originally going to be one of those people. But right before we were set to shoot the uh, the scene with Tamla Man, when I'm directing, Tyler Perry walks in. He looks at me, he says, hey, you're my choir director, dude. Now I'm going to have to give you a little background. So I've been, Valerie knows this as well. I've been directing choir since I was 13 years old. So... When I came to school, shout out to Clark and Lane University, home of the Mighty March Panthers, go CAU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black and red forever. Um, but <laughs> sidebar, of course. So uh, when I came to Clark, I actually uh, was part of integral part of the music uh, department. So I was in the concert choir and then we had a gospel choir as well. I ended up directing the gospel choir or becoming one of the primary directors of the gospel choir. I did that for a very long time. And so in that interim, I joined uh, my church. I started directing the choir at my church. And so that directing the choir at my church uh, was a large platform. It was New Birth. So that was a time when New Birth was really, really big. Uh, it was growing. Not really big, but it was definitely growing. And so you had a lot of celebrities coming through, and you never knew who was sitting in a congregation. You just didn't. Tyler Perry was a regular at the church at that time. I, you know, I had met Tyler previously. He was a cool guy. Never even put two and two together as far as him doing a movie. And, so, and, and furthermore, him, him even remembering me. So he came in and said, hey, he said, my choir director, he said, hey, why don't you uh, direct the choir for the scene? And so I'm like, mm. yeah, okay, so here's the funny part. So when I did it, we did it mm -hmm. in one take, and mm -hmm. we had a lot of fun doing it too. Just be, it looked probably, like fun. fun it looked like fun. We had a lot of fun. So <laughs> a lot of stuff that we did was impromptu. And so Wonderful. the only reason I didn't tell anyone, um, and Valerie, you'll appreciate this. So the day the movie came out, Ma was actually here in Atlanta. So I took right. her to the movies and we saw the movie. I get home and John Cobb calls me. Okay. John's my BFF for the listening audience. He's my BFF. Oh, We've okay. been since we were 11. So okay. he calls me. Now for him to call me, I knew something was up. 
I said, what's going on? I'm thinking it's an emergency at home. Do I need to fly to Chicago? What? He calls me and said, dude, why didn't you tell me you were in a movie? So I'm really not thinking of anything. I said, oh, the Tyler Perry thing. The reason I didn't say anything is because how many uh, look at your name and say cutting room floor? That's I didn't think this, all that was going to make it, to be honest. That's I knew it. that was going to make it. I didn't tell anybody I did it. The only person I told was my mother and a couple other people. Wow, and so yeah. I wasn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a glory hog like that at all. It was fun to do. Got my little piece of change. We got a, you know, got a nice catered lunch and we were good. So uh, as the days progressed, literally for the next uh, week or so, I'm having people call me, text me. Hey, dude, I saw the movie and it was great. And I, you, you didn't know you, been, I didn't know you were going to move in. Are you going to be another one? Another? So it just kind of propelled from there. There are still people right now that text me when that movie comes on, T TBS or TNT, whatever comes on. Uh, people yeah. literally text me or inbox me or uh, post on Facebook or IG. Hey, Pete, I saw um, the movie. Was that you? So it's still, you know, I, in fact, I'm going to um, reach out to Tyler and inbox him and be like, can I get a uh, post royalty check, please? Because, I mean, dude, for real. Just saying, man. Just saying. just saying, man. Just saying. I know I was an extra. I'm just saying, dude. You know, I'm just saying. So so you have this podcast now where you're talking about music. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it just, I, I wondered, when you think about art, the fact that people are creating things, yeah. they're creating music, and they're creating it in this time right now, do, do you think any differently about it, given you know, when it was created? Or are you listening to it as what it is right now? I mean, you know, what's it, it, your mind frame in terms so, of hearing music? And I think that's a great, great question, uh, to be honest. So the one thing about music, uh, especially that R&B genre, I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, Val said already, I'm huge in a gospel and R&B and hip hop and uh, jazz. So the thing about it is with the classic stuff, especially it's timeless. It's definitely right. timeless. So if you look at, like, uh, for some reason, I was just telling a friend of mine this last week, for some reason, I've been on this huge, huge, huge Shaka Khan kick lately. Have no mm -hmm. idea why. But I've been, like, really, for the, I, I'd say, like, the last month or so, a little longer than that, I've been, like, going back and listening to old Rufus stuff and, you mm -hmm. know, pulling out her solo project and, yeah. like, yes. wow, and enamored, just like it first came out. So I think it's just a matter of uh, if it's your passion, there's always going to be, there's always going to be some type of renewal for it. No matter how often you listen to a song, one of my favorite artists in the on God's green earth is Daryl Coley. He's my favorite, my favorite gospel artist. Period. And okay. so when I was younger and first really getting into singing and deciding what I, you know what kind of path I wanted to take as far as um, you know vocals and what he was one of my main people that I'd love to emulate. I'm not a run person. I'm gonna do riffs and runs and crazy stuff like that. But I just love the fact that he was just uh, his vocal quality was just everything. To this day, I can still listen to a Daryl Coley song and find something out of it. And his music has been out since we were in high school. So I think yeah. it's just a matter of just knowing, you know, when I look at Tyler, that movie, I just, it's kind of funny. I just watched the movie, uh, Diver Man Black One, what, two weeks ago? Yeah, I want to say two mm -hmm. weeks ago. And it was kind of funny looking at it. I was looking at, you know, looking at Closing Credits and then looking at myself. You know, you're always your, your own worst critic. You know how we are. So I'm looking at myself like, oh, I could have really done this. And that could have jumped on that part. And if I had done this, you know, so it's kind of like one of those things. You kind of, it's a learning thing, I should say. It's a learning curve. Yeah, you, dip, mentioned, dip. you mentioned Shaka Khan. See, that's uh, really interesting. You mentioned Shaka Khan. And Shaka Khan is, you know, she's back on tour. Yeah. So she's she's yeah. going to be going around. I know that she's going to hit the Midwest yeah. uh, in late June with uh, Pride Festival okay. in Chicago. Um, 
but there's another artist that you mentioned at some point that I think of when you say timeless. Yeah. And, and, and that's Anita Baker. Yes. And, and, and what makes me think of her as timeless is that one of the better videos that I think Spike Lee, and I'll I, I extend this to movies, video and or movie that Spike Lee mm. ever made was his video for Anita Baker, No One in the World. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. I agree. The way that movie. he shows yeah. her, yeah. he shows that she could, she would have been a star in the 40s, in the 50s, mm. to, to present Absolutely. day. And Absolutely. present day now is my good, that's like almost 20 years ago yeah. when that yeah. came out. Yeah. But if you yeah. hear that song now, that song could that song would be a, a, a quote-unquote hit right yeah, now. I agree. It's, I agree. It's, it's timeless. Next time on Interludes, we begin to celebrate our podcast anniversary with a special series looking back on the year that was. Next time on Interludes. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble, produced by Valerie Johnson and Michael Womble, original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production, brought to you by our national sponsor, Montevilla, the natural weight loss coffee and tea brewed with MTC oil and Ramon seeds. For more information and to purchase Montevilla coffee and tea, please visit linktr.ee forward slash Pure Light Media. Our local title sponsor, A1 Pestmasters, for all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters at area code 773-365-9962 or visit their website at a1pestmasters.com. When you book your appointment with A1 Pestmasters, tell them that you heard it first on the podcast called Interludes. To subscribe to our YouTube channel or join our Interludes Facebook group, visit the website linktr.ee forward slash purelightmedia.com. <laughs>